todo el mundo. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson, author of the Rock and Roll Nightmares book series and director of the film The Ventures Stars on Guitars. You are listening to the Rock and Roll Nightmares podcast for people who love music from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And now, on to the show. My guest today is writer and musician S.W. Loudon. He has co-edited three music essay collections and is also the author of several works of music-themed crime fiction, including the Greg Salem Punk Rock P.I. Trilogy and the Power Pop Heist novellas. Steve is currently the drummer in the L.A.-based power pop band The Brothers Steve, so we're going to dive into all that and more. Hi, Steve. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Well, you and I connected through our mutual friend, Laura Betita, the drummer of the Neptunas, and she's also in your book, Forbidden Beat, Perspective on Punk Drumming, which I read, and um, she wrote about Gina Shock in that one. So um, why don't you tell the folks who are listening a little bit about the book and who are some of the other essayists and icons explored in it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And thank you for reading it. I really appreciate that. I, you know, Laura writing about Gina Shock, one great drummer writing about another great drummer really is what the intent and the emotional intent of the book was. It was meant to be sort of this exploration and celebration of punk rock drumming, because that's how I learned to play drums and the first music that I listened to that inspired me to play. So I just kind of wanted to shine the spotlight on some of my heroes, which I was so thrilled to get some of these people in the book or get people writing about them in the book, like Lucky Lehrer from the Circle Jerks wrote the foreword. We got Trey Cool from Green Day. We got Rat Scabies from The Damned. Yeah. Trull from The Rex and the Dicks. Fonny Diaz from Faya. Lori Barbero from Babes in Toyland. And then we also had music writers um, like John Robb, who's a really respected punk musician in England and a really respected music writer as well. Um, he wrote about the history of UK punk drumming. Uh, Kurt Weiss wrote about Jerry Nolan of the New York Dolls and the Heartbreakers. We had Mike Watt talking about George Hurley. We had Joey Shithead talking about Chuck Biscuits. So it's like I had this idea for a cool book. And uh, was kind of beside myself when I saw the people who agreed to participate. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, recommend the book. And you have a, a a new book that just came out last month, the oral history book of Popsico. So um, what's the story behind it and how did that book come together? That one is sort of very personal to me. The lead singer of the band Popsico's name was Keith Brown. Uh, he unfortunately tragically died in 1995. So this is a kind of an old story. But uh, Keith and I met in high school and became really close friends really fast and started our first bands together in high school and then in college as well. Between those two bands, Keith went on to briefly sing for the punk band Pennywise when they first formed. And then we all moved to Santa Barbara and we played in a college band up there. Then that band broke up and Keith ended up starting this band with some Santa Barbara locals named Popsico. And they put out one self-released record and did like lots of DIY touring around Southern California and, and Northern California in the 90s. And then he got into a car accident in 1995 and ended up dying. And they were this, you know, really hot up and coming band on the LA scene. And Keith was such a close friend of mine that I was like watching all of this unfold in real time. Um, and the record's fantastic. And so because I interview a lot of modern bands, I started really hearing the 90s alternative rock sound kind of creeping back into modern guitar music. Mm -hmm. And I got to talking with some of the guys from Popsicle and I was just like, I think now's the time to tell the story and re uh, reissue that record. So I interviewed a bunch of people, including members of Foo Fighters who were around back then and members of Pennywise and members of Baby Lemonade and people who were connected to Popsicle and put together this oral history. And then we worked with Big Stir Records to re-release uh, Off to a Bad Start for the first time ever on vinyl. So those two things are kind of sold together. You get the oral history and the story of the band and you get the uh, vinyl of the record. And it, it, it sounds fantastic. Oh, that's neat. So how is it packaged? It, it, it is packaged as separately as a book and as vinyl because I wanted the book to stand on its own. Uh -huh. um, but they are sold together. And then the artwork obviously is, is connected. Right. Yeah. The artwork is that very famous uh, Life magazine photo. I believe it was from the 40s. The most beautiful suicide is what they call it. And I do recall David Bowie reenacted that pose for his Jump They Say music video. Um, so do you know the significance of why they chose that photograph for the cover of Off to a Bad Start, the new reissue? Um, well, that was actually the original cover. And oh, way back then, Keith had licensed that photo. He was a really interesting guy. You know, he, being his friend, you got kind of immediately turned on to like really cool music and really cool art. He was just kind of this curator of fascinating stuff. Um, being friends with him kind of really changed my perspective in the course of my life in some profound ways, which is why I really wanted to honor him and Popsico's music with this project. But, you know, Keith was just one of these guys that had really great taste in, in, in artwork and stuff. So I, I think he spotted that and thought it just aligned perfectly with the sound of the band. Is the book illustrated or is it just text? It is uh, text. And then within the book, working with the bassist from the band, Marco DeSantis, who then 
later went on to play with a, a band called Sugar Cult that a lot of people know and mm -hmm. went on to play with a punk band called Bad Astronaut. He's a crazy pack rat and archivist. And so he just had a treasure trove of flyers and pictures and set lists and handwritten lyrics. And all of those are actually in the Popsico oral history as well. That is so cool. Yeah, we are, we are so proud of the way it came together. And I mean, I described the Forbidden Beat book as a labor of love, but th this Popsico project is really close to my heart. So to see it out in the world, you know, just really means so much to me. Yeah, what a great tribute to your friend and a way to remember him in a way that's going to last in the hearts and minds of readers and listeners. It, it is. I, I was just looking at um, some of the radio play that the music from the record is getting. And it's just incredible to think that 30 years later, people in Ireland and people in England and people in Germany and Belgium and all across the U.S. and Canada are listening to the Popsico record and and falling in love with it. Like people who are like, you know, 24 years old and have no right to have any kind of connection to it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, are, are falling for it, and so it really is. It really is a very beautiful thing, and I'm I'm kind of over the moon thankful about it all. Wow, yeah. So again, that's the oral history of Popsico is the book, and the album is off to a bad start. That's right, and they're they're both being handled by Big Stir Records, which is a very cool small uh, indie label in Los Angeles. The way that they work as a label to support indie musicians. Um, even though they're based in LA, they work with musicians around the world. They put their heart and soul into every one of their projects. So they were just exactly perfect to partner with on the Popsico project. Absolutely. Sounds like it. Um, well, I haven't read them yet, but I do have a couple of your novels fired up on my Kindle. And it's a little unusual, I think, to find music-based fiction. So can you tell me a little bit about yeah, I think you have two different aspects to that, right? Yeah. Um, in 2014, uh, I had always kind of wanted to write novels and short stories and, and publish fiction. And it was something that just kind of took a back seat when I was more actively pursuing a music career. Um, and, I, you know, my thinking was, you know, you, you should be in a rock band when you're young and then you can publish some books when you're older, I think was the, <laughs> the general idea I had. I'm not sure if that, any of that exactly panned out right. But um, around 2014, I, I decided to kind of actually sit down and try to write a novel and see if I could get it published. And that ended up being about a sort of disgraced former police officer who was a singer in a punk band. Uh, sort of loosely based in the South Bay, you know, Hermosa Beach, where I grew up. Um, and based on my experiences of the punk scene down there and what it was like to grow up along the beach. Um, and so that's a three book trilogy. That's, that guy's name is Greg Salem. The first book is called Bad Citizen Corporation. Um, and that is the name of his band. And so it's basically Greg Salem and his sort of wasted sidekick drummer trying to solve mysteries around the South Bay. And then um, a few years ago, I wrote a couple of novellas about a Oklahoma power pop band uh, called Jamie and the Jacks. And this is sort of a flip on that. These guys aren't PIs are not trying to solve mysteries. They have a specialty in going around and stealing rock and roll artifacts from collectors and oh. then selling them to other rock and roll collectors. There's like a lucrative black market for old Beatles leather jackets and vinyl. Uh -huh. Um, and so that's their angle. And I wrote a couple of books about them. That's called the Power Pop Heist series. And uh, the first book in that series is called That'll Be the Day. 
Very fun. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, you are a musician and uh, in addition to being a writer. So um, you said that, you know, kind of you thought it's better to be a musician when you're younger and then when you're old and tired, you can sit and write a book. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, which love really came first for you or was it kind of um, concurrent? It was, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I've talked about this quite a, bo- a bit with friends and uh, you know, interviews and stuff, but some people relate to it and some people don't. So it'll be interesting to know uh, what your take on it is. I had this really big pivotal uh, epiphany moment when I was about 15 or 16 years old where the lights just kind of went on for me. And this is right around the time that I started hanging out with Keith Brown, who ended up in Popsicko. And we started our first band and I got a car and I was mobile and I just kind of absolutely fell in love with reading and with music in a really profound way at that moment in my life. Like I have these very specific memories of going to this really cool sort of hippie bookstore in Hermosa Beach called Either Or and discovering Charles Bukowski or John Fonte Uh, or a really big one for me, Kurt Vonnegut, and sort of like reading the books in the aisles there and smelling the incense and they had the cat in the window. I mean, you you Uh know the bookstore we're talking about. And then I would drive over and play punk rock in this band with Keith and my friends, Greg and Dan. Um, And so I kind of knew right then who I wanted to be. Like I knew I wanted to write and I knew I wanted to play music. And I was sort of determined to be able to do both of those things with my life. And I've been very fortunate that I've gotten to do both of those things with my life. Absolutely. Um, now you're currently drumming for the brother Steve in LA. Uh, yeah. Does this have anything to do with your first name? Are there other Steves in the band or what? There are not actually. The, the guys <laughs> who named the band um, named the band before I joined. Uh, it's an old band name that's been kicking around for a while. Um, and when I joined, there, there are a bunch of old friends and bandmates of mine from previous projects. We decided that because my name was Steve, we couldn't actually have a Steve in the band. So I only use my last name. In, in that oh, band. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's, a, uh, it's sort of a bubblegum uh, power pop band in sort of a 60s British invasion, early 70s style um, the lead singer and main songwriter Jeff Whalen and I were in a band together called Czar in the late two, uh, late 90s and early 2000s that put a couple records out and did some touring, um, and as well as the bass player Jeff Solomon. And then uh, we also have Dylan Callahan and Oz Tyler in the band. And we put out two records, um, one in 2019 that's called Number One, and one in 2021 that is called Dose, D-O-S-E. Um, and those both came out on Big Stir Records. And it, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I don't know if you're a power pop fan, but basically playing really hooky guitar pop music is is a super blast. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what exactly is power pop? There are so many offshoots of, of different genres of music. Maybe you can explain that. Yeah, I mean, it's just basically hooky, melodic guitar, mostly guitar-based music that is very reverent of the uh, the British Invasion sound of mm, bands. Okay, like so like the, the Kinks, that kind of thing? It's the, the big ones, yeah, the Kinks are in there, but the big ones that are seen as the main influence are the Beatles, uh, the Who, and actually Pete Townsend from the Who coined the phrase power pop in 1967, talking about the song Pictures of Lily, 
So that's actually mm-hmm. where the phrase comes from. But then uh, the two American bands that also influence people are the Beach Boys and the Birds. And then in the 70s, the people who kind of picked up that flag and started playing that kind of music again, because a lot of those bands had gone on to be stadium rockers and doing psychedelic music and, um, you know, concept records. And so bands like Big Star and Raspberries and, uh, and Todd Rundgren came along and started playing a more traditional version of that kind of guitar pop music. And then in the late seventies and you end up with bands like 2020 and shoes and the knack. So that those are sort of like a lot of the big touch points in the power pop universe. Good to know. Well, I've got to ask, what is your own personal rock and roll nightmare? You knew this was coming. Yeah. I, uh, I actually gave this a crazy amount of thought. Um, (laughs) and I'm going to be completely honest with you because I write so much about modern music and bands uh, at my uh, Substack, Remember the Lightning, um, and for other publications like Big Takeover and in these essay collections I've done. I honestly think my rock and roll nightmare is very specific. It is, I am so worried that one of these artists that I'm gushing about is going to like contact me and tell me that I got it all wrong and I don't understand their music or is like even worse in this day and age, like going to retweet something and go like, this guy doesn't have any idea what he's talking about. All his descriptions of my music are totally wrong. Um, I think that's a low level fear I have whenever I write about one of my favorite artists. Yeah. Well, I mean, you put a lot of your heart and soul into it, so I can see why. And I am a happy subscriber to your Remember the Lightning Substack. So um, can you talk a little bit about, I think you have something else coming up with that, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and thank you. And I and I loved having you do an interview about your books, which are also incredible. And uh, it was really great. Uh, people loved that interview we did. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah. I um, Yeah. Remember the Lightning was something that I started because I was kind of writing about guitar pop, you know, power pop, indie rock, rock and roll, whatever, just in that realm at a lot of different venues. Um, But I wanted to be able to write more consistently um, under my own name. So I started this sub stack and I'm, I'm publishing two or three times a week. I've been serializing. That'll be the day. So if you want to read that, I've been putting a chapter up every week and almost the whole book's up now for free. Uh, so you can sample my fiction there. But I also write about uh, modern uh, guitar pop music um, that's happening right now. And we're kind of in this guitar pop golden age. There's like this big wave of bands all around the world that's starting to to release music that is more like what we saw in the early 90s uh, or throughout the 80s or even going back to the 70s and the British Invasion. Uh, bands like Second Grade and Mo Troper and Super Crush and... Uh, the Whiffs out of Kansas City are a fantastic band. So I'm writing about a lot of those bands. I have guest posts there. And then now the, the concept has kind of shifted. And um, uh, we're about to announce for the first time ever a new semi-annual uh, guitar pop journal of the same name. So it's going to be called Remember the Lightning, a guitar pop journal. And that is going to be a book. And it is going to feature modern artists or modern music writers writing about power pop and guitar pop and indie rock. And the first volume is going to be dropping on April 19th. Perfect. Well, I think that's a really good idea because a lot of us and, you know, I'm raising my hand here virtually that we kind of get stuck in the past. You know, for me, it's the 70s. That's my sweet spot. Mm -hmm. And you think like, well, 
there's really nothing new that's good anymore. So I'm glad that you're making lists and it letting us stretch and grow and discover new bands. I think that's a great idea. Oh, thank you. And you know, the, the, one of the rules I have for exactly that reason, like, you know, power pops, this genre that you can very easily get trapped in the seventies or the early eighties, or maybe the early nineties with bands like teenage fan club or fountains of Wayne. There's mm -hmm. these specific eras that people get trapped in. And the, the, the whole idea behind Remember the Lightning was to stay in the 2000s as much as possible. And that could either be writing mostly about modern bands or it could be modern artists talking about their older influences. So in the journal, we've got this really fantastic modern writer and musician named Mo, Tri Mo Troper, who's writing about Chris Bell's I Am the Cosmos. Um, we have James Goodson, who is the one man band called Daisy, and they are a fantastic sort of alternative pop band out of uh, West Virginia. Um, and he's writing about like his feelings about being labeled power pop. Uh, Mary Donnelly is writing about the band Sloan. They've been around since the 90s. People tend to focus on their older work, but they've released some fantastic records in the 2000s. And so that's the focus of her essay. So it's just trying as much as I can to focus on the last 20 years, knowing that you can't talk about the last 20 years of that music without referencing the 30 or 40 years that came before it. But that's sort of the goal. So thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, absolutely. I look forward to reading those myself. And um, so where can listeners find your writings? I'm assuming Amazon and that sort of thing. I mean, do you have social media? You've got your Remember the Lightning Substack, which there's a free version, right, to subscribe to. So let us know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Remember the Lightning is totally free. I haven't tried to monetize it at all. Oh, okay. I'm just, I just want people to join and, and jump in the conversation in the comment section. So if you're interested in anything we've talked about, please stop by and check out some of the stuff I've written or some of the guest posts or interviews with people like Stacy here. And, <laughs> yes. um, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at SW Loudon. And I think those are the main places that you want to find me, or I'm also SW Loudon on Facebook, if you're still on Facebook. Yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking it old school. Uh, me too. In fact, I because of the power pop groups on Facebook, I probably spend more time on that platform than any other. But it's because there's this very specific community of people wanting to talk about these very specific bands. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Steve, and best of luck with all of your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much. And I know our paths are going to cross again, but I, I can't thank you enough for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. Ah, absolutely. Take care. And now I have an excerpt for you from Rock and Roll Nightmares, True Stories, Volume 1. This is from the audiobook, which is now available on audible.com, and it's read by Andy Garrison. Pacific Northwesterner Rockin' Robin Roberts died in a car crash at the age of 27 on December 22, 1967. He's remembered as a wild, intense vocalist who, seven years prior to his death, transformed an obscure rhythm and blues song, Richard Berry's Louie Louie, into a garage rock hit with his band The Wailers. Their cover was a number one regional radio hit in 1961, and then again in 1962. In 1963, another band, The Kingsmen, famously copied Robert's arrangement and scored an indelible international sensation. 
But karma caught up with them when the FBI investigated them for possible obscenity in the lyrics, or maybe not. No charges were filed. Rockin' Robin, whose legal name was Lawrence Roberts, was a man of many talents. Not only was he a dynamic singer with undeniable stage presence, but he was a scholar with a passion for science and had a degree in geology. According to a newspaper report, Roberts was in San Mateo, California, the passenger in a car that somehow wound up in the wrong lane and crashed head-on into another vehicle. Both Robin and the driver, Sonny Cabell McCulley, 22, died before making it to the hospital. Immediately after the accident, another collision took place as a third car plowed into a tow truck and a fire truck dispatched to the scene. Robert's mother died not long afterward of, some say, a broken heart. Concludes another episode of Rock and Roll Nightmares. I'm your host, Stacey Lane Wilson. The theme song, Out for Blood, is composed and sung by Lars with a Z, Cabot, and the band is Fuzzbuster. This is an indie podcast, so your subscriptions and ratings are really important. Thank you for joining me, and until next time. <laughs>